What is going on, guys? I am back here for another episode. I know it has been a few days, but things have been a little bit crazy. And we're getting back in the zone here today. We're going to get you out some better content over the next week. Um, I got to be a little bit better about posting more regularly, but I do appreciate you guys for sticking by my side through this uh, period of nothingness uh, over the last few days. Um, And we're going to give you a heck of an episode here today to make up for it. Um, So like, once again, I appreciate you guys for for sticking with me here um, over this uh, last, I guess, week. Um, After that consistent posting for a few days, we kind of got away from it, but I will be better at it. And I do apologize. Um, We have a lot of content to cover today. I can't cover everything, obviously, to keep it within about a 45-minute episode, but uh, I am going to try to uh, speak on as much as I possibly can. Um, So the first thing that obviously comes to my mind when I want to talk about sports right now is the ridiculous baseball game that I watched last night. Uh, The game I'm referring to would be the New York Yankees and the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Um, that was one of the better games I've seen here in recent memory. Uh, it was boring for a little bit, but I, I started watching it just at the right time because it seemed like everything started to break loose once I started watching. Um, and it gives you a better appreciation for the Blue Jays and the Yankees, uh, both as a team overall and also for their high-powered offenses. I like to say high-octane, high-octane offenses of the New York Yankees and Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, that division is absolutely loaded. Uh, between the Rays, who for some reason keep losing to the Oakland Athletics and uh, the Padre, uh, the uh, Yankees and the and the Blue Jays. I mean, that's it's a ridiculous division for a team like the Red Sox to compete in, and uh, even harder for a team like the Orioles to get any wins at all. So I just feel like those three teams are all playoff caliber teams. Uh, with the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Yankees. I mean, they really showed it last night, and people are saying some bad things about the Yankees. Um, even the commentators last night. There was some talk about how the only way the Yankees can score runs is off the long ball and they can't string together hits. It was probably about two minutes after he said that that they started string, stringing together hits and scoring runs and coming back in that game. So I'm really confused um, as to why there's so many haters on the Yankees this year. I do think the Yankees are a better team than the Red Sox. I even think they're possibly a better team than the Blue Jays. I said, quote me on that. Um, and by the end of the year, I think I'm going to be right. So don't sleep on New York. Never sleep on the Yankees. Um, I, I don't like to root for the Yankees, but uh, last night, the way that game was going, I was kind of rooting for the Yankees a little bit. Um, aside from rooting for the Yankees, though, one of my favorite players to watch in the league, should be all of your favorite players to watch in the league, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had himself a game. That is the highlight of the game, not the Yankees, not the Yankees, but the Blue Jays. And the only reason the Blue Jays won that game is because of one guy, and that's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So you take him out of the equation, and the Yankees are by far a superior team to the Blue Jays. I I do think without Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that team cannot compete. And the Blue Jays are in a little bit of trouble right now because Teoscar Hernandez, one of their top hitters, actually managed to get injured in that game. And we honestly don't know uh, what the status of Teoscar is. So let me look it up for you guys and let you know what the injury is because I haven't done enough research. I've done a little bit of research for this episode, but not enough. So uh, let me pull up Teoscar Hernandez here real quick, and I'll see if I can tell you guys what it says his injury is. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez. There he is. Right fielder, Toronto Blue Jays. It said he has an oblique injury. And he's expected to be out until at least the end of April. So that's the news on Teoscar Hernandez. Um, 
He is one of their top hitters. I do think he's a little bit overrated, um, but he does have uh, similar statistics to Jose Batista. Um, whenever Batista was that slugging outfielder for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays back in the day, um, everybody loves Batista. Um, but uh, Teoscar is their new Batista, essentially. So very, very comparable numbers for his first few seasons uh, to Batista's first few with the with the Blue Jays. I did see that graphic at one point, and I, I will stand by that. Uh, so I will say that Teoscar is that kind of value to them. He's a guy that hits in the middle of their order, drives in a lot of runs, all-star last year. Uh, so, yeah, for Teoscar, it's a big loss for them. But um, let's talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So um, last night, people are officially stating, which they already should have been, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is better than his dad. And I, I agree. Um, he's on pace to be a Hall of Famer if he keeps these stats up. But, of course, a couple good seasons, you can't really um, – you know, base one player's career and trajectory of his career off of a couple seasons. Uh, the difference in why I say you can for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is look at the man's swing. Look at the man's swing. He is destined for success because of the way that he can absolutely mash a baseball. And the only other player that I can say is destined for success based on their swing is Juan Soto. Juan Soto and Vladimir Guerrero are Hall of Fame players if they can stay healthy. That's the only thing. Their swing, their mechanics, everything's perfect. If they stay healthy in, throughout their career, which you could say about a lot of guys, I understand it's not that big of a you know thing to say. I just think those two are generational talents, generational level hitters. Um, their knowledge of the strike zone, um, their ability to hit for power, their ability to just put the ball in play. Um, you saw it last night with Vladdy. He was hitting homers, and then the one time he was down in the count with Garrett Cole, he was in, in a problem count with two strikes, and he was able to just hit it the other way and just float one in there for a double. Still got a double. It was an um, amazing swing, the way he adjusted his swing and torqued his body to be able to put that ball in play and get it in there for extra bases. I mean, I, I don't see guys doing that very often. It almost reminds me of Aaron Otto a little bit where the dude can literally hit the ball out of play intentionally. And when you watch it in slow motion, you're like, how did he just do that? And that's kind of what it reminded me of being able to change your swing and change the trajectory of where you're hitting the ball to be able to make sure that it goes where you need it to go. So I would say uh, that in that aspect, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Juan Soto are the two best players in baseball. I don't think that's something you can really question, um, at least today's era. Um, Mike Trout, obviously still the greatest baseball player of our generation. But I'm saying now that Mike Trout's getting a little bit older, I would say the next generation, um, the comparable thing to Trout and Harper would be Guerrero and Soto. And I think those two guys will be doing it for a long time. So Vladdy Guerrero Jr., the reason I named the episode Vladdy Hattie is because obviously the boy hit three home runs last night. It's not considered a hat trick as much in baseball as it is a hockey thing or a soccer thing. You score three goals in a game, it's called a hat trick. You hit three home runs in a game, I don't care what you say, that's a hat trick. Okay, that for to me, three is a hat trick. That's just how it is. You know, you go out fishing, you catch three fish. That's a hat trick. You know what I'm saying? Anything in a number of three. If you're a hockey fan, you think hat trick. Okay? Anything in that in that um you know sense of three. So I would say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had a hat trick last night, and that's how we're gonna leave it. So Vladdy Hattie is the name of this episode because the man hit three home runs against the Yankees. And not to mention his impressive double, which was if not more impressive than his home runs, in my opinion. And what's even more impressive is that Vladdy actually got stomped on at first base um by a cleat and made his hand bleed very early in the game, and he ended up coming back up the next half inning and hitting a home run. 
Like, I was concerned for Vladdy. His, his hand was bleeding, okay? This dude needed stitches. He comes back out and hits a home run on his next at-bat. Then the next at-bat hits another one. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, oh, my gosh. And they were talking about how he was the next guy up at the very end of the game with the chance to hit four home runs, something that's more rare than a perfect game, which I actually did not know. So there have only been 18 players in MLB history that have hit four home runs in a game. Vladdy would have been number 19. That is less than the number of perfect games thrown in Major League Baseball, which I think it's in the 20s. Don't get me wrong. I really don't know the exact number. I just remember them saying 18 uh, players have ever hit four home runs in a game. That's something Vlad Sr. never did. Vlad Sr. never even hit three home runs in a game. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. has hit three home runs in a game, I think more than once, actually. So a four-hit game for Vladdy, a Vladdy Hattie, and the Blue Jays were able to get the win last night single-handedly because of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And Garrett Cole bailed himself out. I mean, Garrett Cole was ready to take a loss in that game. And the Yankees decided to put some runs together all at one time and be able to save Garrett Cole before he came out of that game to get him the no decision instead of the L. So I believe it was a Anthony Rizzo home run. Uh, I'm not looking at anything. Uh, Aaron Judge home run, a Josh Donaldson double, and possibly a G.J. LeMahieu single, if I'm not mistaken. So either way, the Yankees were able to string some hits together after people said, well, specifically their commentators, that they could not do that. And that was what they were struggling with. So it was some kind of critic. I don't. The commentators weren't actually saying that. They were relaying that somebody else had reported that or somebody in a news article said that the Yankees are going to need to be able to hit the long ball if they're going to win games and they're dependent on the long ball, which I don't think is true. Um, I think that that is a team that does have some contact hitters in their lineup, like LeMahieu, who has the ability to hit for a very, very high average, over 300 level. Um, you have guys like DJ LeMahieu, guys like Rizzo that can get on base and hit you clutch hits the way Rizzo's playing right now. I don't want to mess with Anthony Rizzo. Um, it's, it's just crazy to me. So I, I feel like the Yankees are getting a lot of hate for no reason. And... Um, the other storyline for the Yankees coming in the year to finish up on the Yankees here uh, is that Garrett Cole and Josh Donaldson had some crazy beef uh, coming into the season after Donaldson had said things about um, Garrett Cole uh, using the sticky stuff, I guess that you could say. Um, it was it was some kind of beef about the sick, sticky stuff and about Garrett Cole's spin rate and stuff like that. Well, here's some news for you, and this was just reported today. Josh Donaldson and Garrett Cole, as of now, now that they're teammates, are getting along just fine. So uh, the quote from Donaldson says, me and him are boys now. Um, my fiance hangs out with his wife. Our kids had a play date. I love baseball. Garrett loves baseball. He loves to talk baseball. And so do I. At the end of the day, we're going to have conversations, which is cool. So that's good to see if you're a Yankees fan or just a fan of baseball that Cole and Donaldson are getting along because Cole is obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball. And Donaldson has been one of the best third basemen in baseball for the last, I don't know, at least since he was an MVP candidate with the Blue Jays. So, I mean, those two guys getting along is really good news for the Yankees and for their clubhouse. And that, that was something that people questioned at the beginning of the year because the beef, I mean, and, and in most cases with sports, beef is more of like, um, in my opinion, um, it's something that is just trying to draw in people's attention. So it's something that they use to hype up games, um, to create some drama, to create some some tension. It's not real most of the time. Most of the time, the beef isn't real. It's made up beef by the media to try to hype everything up and make everything seem more dramatic and more intense than what it actually is. So I don't know that these guys actually ever had real hate for each other, considering how quick it was for Garrett Cole to say, yeah, absolutely, I want him, you know, I'll take him on the Yankees. 
They want to just go out there and win. They're baseball players. They don't care. They don't want to get caught up in the drama. Donaldson seems like a great dude. Garrett Cole always loved him. I just don't see any issue there. There were two guys as good of personalities as Garrett Cole and Josh Donaldson have and as intense of players as they are and as good of teammates as they have been in their careers. I just don't see how two guys like that can have real beef. That's why, in my opinion, it was kind of made up from the start. So it was just added to use some drama and stuff like that, like when Donaldson hit a home run off him and stuff like that last year with the Twins. It's just, it's all just added stuff. It's not necessary. It's all to get views and to try to hype things up and and just make things seem more dramatic and more, you know, intense. And that's all it is. Um, So that's my opinion. So we talked about Vladdy. We talked about the Blue Jays a little bit. So Vladdy had one of the best games of his career last night against the Yankees, carried the Blue Jays to a win. Um, but uh, the bad thing that happened for the Blue Jays was T. Oscar Hernandez getting injured in that game. And as we said, it's an oblique injury, and we think he's going to be out for at least the rest of April. And then as far as the Yankees, like I said, I think they do look like a playoff team. People are hating, but I'm not. I think they're way better than the Red Sox. They proved that already by playing the Red Sox. The Red Sox are in trouble. So let's just keep it here in the in the uh, in the AL East here. So the Red Sox are in big trouble. So not only are the Red Sox looking bad to start the season in my opinion, their starting pitching from the beginning of the season was very suspect to me. And I it is still very suspect. Without Chris Sale, that rotation is not good. All they have is Nathan Eovaldi. So without Eovaldi, they would have nothing. You know, you're talking about Hauk, Tanner Hauk, who's really not a proven player yet in the league. Um, you're talking about Rich Hill, who's looked really bad. He's, his age starting to catch up to him. Um, I'm trying to think of other names off the top of my head that the Red Sox have. I mean, Nick Pavetta, who's never really been that good. Um, I just don't understand where the, where people are thinking the Red Sox are a better team than the Yankees. They're definitely not. Why would they be a better team than the Blue Jays? I have no idea why anybody would say that. And they're definitely not better than the Tampa Bay Rays. Even though the Rays have hit some blunders here with the teams they've played, they got an easy series against the Orioles to start the season and were able to be in first place in the AL East. But then all of a sudden they play the Athletics, and the Athletics, ever since they won the last game of the series against the Phillies have looked amazing. So I, I'm not blaming Tampa Bay. Um, watching the game that today, I did watch Tampa Bay play their athletics today. Their defense just looked really bad. They just had some miscues that cost them a lot of runs early in the game, and it was just hard to come back from. There was one play where they made at least two or three errors in the outfield on the same ball, and they gave up three runs on that play. It was like a little league home run for Christian Pache. A guy that was never very good at all for Atlanta, and the only way he gets on base or does really anything is if somebody makes a mistake. So I don't think Pache is that good. I never did. I think the 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 Braves stole Matt Olson from the Athletics because the prospects that they did get back aren't that good, especially Pache. I do think that one guy. I think he's a catcher. I don't remember. Is it Frierson or something? I don't know. But he looked good. But everybody else, I. Man, I don't see it. And it's not like they even need a catcher because they have Sean Murphy. So it's like the Athletics, I think, probably made a mistake there trading away Olsen. Of course, they don't like to pay anybody anyway. So take whatever prospects you can get, I guess. But the A's look good right now. I'm not going to complain. I mean, I was scared whenever we the Phillies lost to them in, the, in, a, in one game. But, I mean, <laughs> considering the way they're playing against the Rays right now, I'm, I'm not hating on the A's no more. So Philly losing one out of three to the A's and – Getting a couple games stolen from them by the Mets. Having the 3-3 record at the, at the beginning of the season does not alarm me for the Phillies. Um, but let's keep talking about the AL East for a little bit. Because that's it honestly seems like the most interesting division to follow in the, a, in the AL. 
the AL East, and I would say the NL East is the most interesting division in, in the National League because you have the Phillies, you got the Braves, you got the Mets, three big dogs at the top, just like the the Rays, the uh, Blue Jays, and the Yankees, and then you got the the Red Sox, who could people think could make a push. I don't think they could. And then the same thing with the Marlins in the NL East. People think the Marlins are a good team because they're pitching rotation and stuff. They're almost the opposite team of the Red Sox. The Red Sox have some good bats, but they don't have a pitching rotation. The Marlins have good pitchers, but they don't have that many good bats. So it's like, they're almost like opposites. If you put the Met, the Red Sox and the Marlins together, you actually have a pretty good baseball team. I still don't think they'd be as good as the Yankees or the Blue Jays or the Phillies or the, Mar- or the Braves or the Rays or the Mets for that. But uh, it is what it is. Um, so... Talking about that, um, I talked about the Red Sox struggles at starting pitcher. I honestly think the Blue Jays are having more issues at starting pitcher than the Red Sox. I mean, I've watched Jose Barrios struggle back in uh, spring training, but since the season started, the boy still hasn't woke up. He just has not looked like Jose Barrios. And I don't know if this is just because of the shortened spring training and that he will bounce back. But right now, Jose Barrios does not look like Jose Barrios. And I'd be scared if I was the Blue Jays and that was my ace. And Kevin Gosman, he really didn't look that good in his first start either. So we'll have to see what happens tonight. I really hope that Kevin Gosman can get his act together. But um, you never know. So at this point, it's like with Barrios struggling and the question marks around Barrios, the question marks around... Uh, um, Kevin Gosman. Uh, I would say even the question marks around Hyunjin Ryu and, and, and UC Kikuchi, who I predicted at the beginning of the season would struggle this year, uh, regardless of how they did in their first start of the season. I'm talking for the entire season overall. These guys are not going to be what they think they're getting out of them. Alec Manoa, I believe he was the one that did look good um, when I watched Alec Manoa. Let me, let me, let me verify that here with, uh, with Google real quick. So Alec Manoa... Uh, in his first start, pitched six innings, got the win, didn't allow any runs. So yeah, Alec Manoa is the one I'm not worried about yet. But Jose Barrios has allowed seven earned runs in two starts in only five and a, and a third innings. Whereas Kevin Gosman allowed three earned runs in only five innings. So borderline quality start, but he's not ready yet for the season. That's why I'm not as worried about Gosman. Yeah, here it is. You see Kikuchi. So he took the loss in his first game and only got through three and a third innings. And then Hyunjin Ryu allowed six earned runs and only made it through three and a third innings. So that's what I'm saying, guys. I have a very, very valid point there where that I'm worried about the Blue Jays starters. Okay, Ryu's not looking good. Kikuchi's not looking good. Barrios is not looking good at all. And Gosman's not looking good. So you got Manoa having one good game and you don't know what's going to happen with Manoa next time. So it could, your excuse, as usual, could be, yes, short and spring training, da-da-da-da-da, not ready. But not any other team is having that kind of trouble at starting pitcher. Let me just say. I mean, proof is Corbin Burns looked horrible on opening day and yesterday he threw a gem. Now, it was the Orioles, but still, still, okay? So that's what I'm saying. Um... As far as that goes, uh, all the pitchers that... And, and, and talk about pitching, Clayton Kershaw. Let's shout him out in a little bit. But obviously, you know what happened with Clayton Kershaw yesterday if you pay attention to baseball at all. Um, let, let's wait on that for a second. And I want to I finish up the AL East here. So the last thing I want to say about the AL East, I, like I said, Yankees are a playoff team. People are doubting them. I'm not. The Blue Jays, after knowing about the new format, I do say ever since I found out about that that these guys are a playoff team. I'm worried about their pitching rotation. I'm worried about the health of Teoscar Hernandez. And I was for a second worried about Vladdy Guerrero's hand, but he hit a couple more home runs and then he's playing today. So two stitches is nothing for Vladdy Guerrero Jr. 
obviously. Um, so good for him. Vladdy literally told them that he wanted to come back in that game last night, and he just started mashing. So I love it from Vladdy. Like I said, general, generational talent, amazing hitter, a ridiculous hitter, I should say. The Yankees said he looked would they say it's something about not even human or something? Like it was just crazy. Like the 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 props that the Yankees were given Vladdy last night, crazy. Respect though, Res- mutual respect between those teams, even though they're bitter rivals. Um, not as bad as the Red Sox and, and Yankees rivalry. And like I said, I do like New York better than Boston this year. Looking at the future. The Yankees have some guys that are signed long-term, like Garrett Cole, that are going to be big impact players. Yes, they might lose Aaron Judge at the end of the year. I do think they will use, lose Aaron Judge at the end of the year. I do not know if I told you guys my prediction yet, but I will put it out there right now. Here, and, and I will have a Red Sox thing going on here after this. For the Yankees, Aaron Judge will not re-sign with the Yankees. He feels disrespected by the New York Yankees, and the offer that they gave him was a low-ball offer in Aaron Judge's opinion. Judge being the marketing face of the New York Yankees, feels like he's worth more than what they were offering him. So Aaron Judge is going to go elsewhere. Think of a team that has a lot of money. Think of a team that buys everybody they could ever want and then still wants more and win every single year. And I hate them. That's right. The Los Angeles Dodgers, my least favorite team in baseball. They will sign Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge will play right field for the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2023. Now you may ask, what will happen with Cody Bellinger? My prediction is Cody Bellinger then turns around and signs with the New York Yankees. So I believe at the end of the season, Judge being a free agent, Bellinger being done with his one-year deal, I do believe Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger, the former MVPs, will switch places. I think Judge will go to... LA to play with Mookie. And I think that uh, Cody Bellinger will come to New York to play with Stanton. I think it's going to be interesting, but that is my prediction. I wanted to put it out there before it happens so that you guys can say, I to- so that I can say to you guys, I told you so. But that's my prediction. I think they're basically going to swap teams. For the Red Sox, things aren't as simple. They don't have anything at the end of the year because Xander Bogarts is going to have the opportunity to opt out at the end of the year. And Raphael Devers, as I've already said in a previous episode, is disrespected by their contract offers that they are giving him. Bogarts as well now, up to date. Both of them feel disrespected by the offers. Apparently, Bogarts and the Sox are about a hundred million discrepancy there between what they are trying to offer and what he wants. So I don't think Bogarts or Devers are staying in Boston next year. I think they're both going to be moving on to a new team. Now, here's the thing. Before the season started, I would have said that it is possible that Xander Bogarts goes to the Houston Astros to replace Correa. But Jeremy Pena is looking really good, and I don't think that the, the, the Astros with a young shortstop like Jeremy Pena are going to pay Bogarts. Bogarts wants to play shortstop. Obviously, we already had this conversation. That's why Trevor Story moved to second base. Well, the Red Sox better be really happy with Trevor Story because that's all they're going to have at the end of this season. So when Bogarts and Devers leave, and I think Devers could be possibly a top, at least top five third baseman in the league, probably top three, as far as hitting at least top three, 
Overall, I'm talking probably top five still. His defense has improved over his career, but he was very sketch at the beginning. I just, I really like Devers, and I feel like he will be better suited somewhere else. Maybe that's just my hate for the Red Sox. I don't know. But I just feel like the Red Sox are going to lose Devers and Bogarts at the end of the year. That's my bold prediction is that Aaron Judge is going to the Dodgers and that the Red Sox are going to lose Bogarts and Devers. So just so you guys know, that's my bold prediction of the year <laughs> as far as players moving at the end of the season. And I, I'm going to stick by that. I do, I do think there's enough teams that need a stud third baseman, enough teams that need a shortstop. That those could be very valid moves. As far as landing spots for them, like I said, I don't want to make that, mo- that much of a bold prediction um, at, this, at this moment in time. But I do think there are quite a few landing spots for both of those guys. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them on the move. So let's just, let's just stick to that. Uh, moving forward, um, after m- talking about Devers and Bogarts and how bad the Red Sox are, I do want to shout out my boy Clayton Kershaw. Um, the only thing really to say about Kershaw is that he was lights out. He was lights out. So Clayton Kershaw yesterday, um, he was literally about to pitch a perfect game. He was, he was perfect through seven innings, and then the unthinkable happened. He got pulled from the game. What a surprise. It's happened how many times this year with no hitters? But this is different because it was a perfect game. Clayton Kershaw was throwing a perfect game through seven innings. The man had struck out 13 hitters and only thrown, how many pitches? 80 pitches. Struck out 13 on 80 pitches and had a perfect game through seven. And he gets pulled? Now, this was even more shocking to me than the no-hitters. Because, to be honest with you, Clayton Kershaw could have went two more innings, no problem, in my opinion. But maybe it's just because it was his first start of the season. Clayton did say after the game that he did agree with the decision. He did. The quote from LA Sportsnet is that he knew he was going to pitch. Okay, here's the quote. Quote, I knew going into my pitch count, going in, that my pitch count wasn't going to be 100. It's a hard thing to do to come out of the game when you're doing that. But we're here to win. This was the right choice. That is from Clayton Kershaw directly after his seven-inning no-hit bid of 13 strikeouts and only 80 pitches was broken up as soon as they put in a reliever. So, Kershaw on a one-year deal, obviously showing that he's still has the capability to go vintage Kershaw on any team at any given moment. The Twins offense was hot, and then Kershaw comes out here, strikes out 13, goes through seven perfect innings. So Clayton Kershaw, hats off, buddy. Hats off to Kershaw. I love Kershaw as much as I hate the Dodgers, as much as I would love him to play for another team. We're going to give a clap, a round of applause for Clayton Kershaw. An absolute stellar performance by the guy, the GOAT of pitching, the best pitcher of our generation. Better than Max Scherzer? Yes, sir. Yes, please. I'll take Kershaw over Scherzer any day. And anybody who wants to debate me on that, feel free. Hit up the, hit up the podcast. We'll get you on here. And we'll, we'll debate all day because I'm taking Kershaw over Scherzer all day, every day. All right? So 
Clayton Kershaw, stud. He still got it. We knew he still had it. Signed that one-year $17 million deal with the Dodgers. And, uh, I mean, he's showing he's still got his stuff. So I don't know if he's going to get a Scherzer deal because of his injury issues. But, hey, I could see Kershaw getting that, I mean, a big contract. I mean, three years maybe and just ridiculous amount of money. But the reason he came to... uh, to LA, back to LA, instead of going to Texas and getting a big deal or something, is because he wanted to win. So honestly, at the end of the year, I could see Kershaw going to Texas, especially if the Dodgers don't win it. Oh man, Kershaw is going to be worth big money if he has a big year. And everybody knows that. That's common sense, so I don't have to tell you, but I just really like Kershaw. Very impressed by his performance yesterday. Um, Yeah. There was a point yesterday when I was at the uh, Philadelphia Phillies game and uh, Clayton Kershaw was throwing a, no, uh, throwing a perfect game. And I was more invested in Kershaw getting his perfect game than I was in the Phillies game and I was right there. So that just tells you how crazy it is that the boy in his first start of the season was throwing a perfect game through seven. I mean, I was like, I was irate when they pulled him. But then again, I understand. He understood. Kershaw being a true professional and a class act. Didn't get pissed off about it. He straight up said, I agree with the decision. I understand I was on a limited pitch count. It was my first start of the season. No problem. I have no problem with that. So since Kershaw has no problem with that, none of us can have a problem with that either. Okay, that's how I feel about it. If somebody's going to be mad that he got pulled in the perfect game, it's going to be Clayton. And he's not mad, so we're not going to be mad for him. All right? Everything's good in L.A. for Kershaw. The Dodgers, they, they, they can screw off. I hate the Dodgers. Okay? But... They're probably getting Aaron Judge next year. So let's just see. Uh, Moving forward, moving on, moving onward. um, I have a little bit more to talk about as far as baseball goes. So talking about vintage Kershaw, I I also want to take out a moment to shout out vintage players that are playing like themselves back in the day when they were MVP candidates. There's two of them. There's two of them I'm going to shout out here. And we're going to go through their stats on the season so that y'all can see that I'm not tripping. There are two guys that stand out when we're talking about vintage performers to start this season. So we're obviously really, really, really early. Really early is the word I want to use in the season. It's very uh, premature to say that these players are are having you know their best season, da-da-da, whatever. But to be completely honest with you, these two guys deserve a shout-out. And it is because they are looking like MVPs. They are looking in MVP form to start the season. And you cannot hate on either of these guys for doing what they're doing. They were even recognized by the MLB getting uh, Player of the Week honors in their respective leagues um, with for the first week of the season. So let's just shout them out real quick and say that they look like them their vintage selves because that's all I can really think to t- say is they look like they should look. Like when you think of this player... The highlights they're putting out this year look like the highlights you would think of when they were MVP candidates. That's the that's the definition of vintage. So vintage Kershaw throws a near perfect game. Vintage Alex Bregman, who I've been shouting out every episode so far because I love Alex Bregman, he is batting three thirty three this season with two home runs, seven RBIs, and a nearly a thousand OPS. You guys might not think that sounds very good, but here's the real kicker: only two strikeouts. How about that? Only two strikeouts, 375 on base percentage. So honestly, I mean, that doesn't sound good, uh, as good. I mean, it's good, but for this early in the season, I just watch. Okay, here's the thing. The stats don't look that good, okay? But he passes the eye test. If If you've watched an Astros game, especially in that series against the Angels when Bregman was just going off, 
Alex Bregman looks like vintage Alex Bregman. That, that's what I'm getting at. Like, he passes the eye test, and he just absolutely looks phenomenal out there. Like, it, it, he's making the game look so easy, and I love to see it out of Alex Bregman, okay? Because this guy was a guy that finished runner-up to Mike Trout not that long ago for a league MVP and had insane numbers. You can never doubt Trout, so, like, I agreed with Trout winning the MVP. I'm not saying Bregman was better that year. Trout obviously was. But Alex Bregman still technically did get robbed of an MVP because he was one of the best players in the league. Um, and that's the thing is, if you finish top five in MVP voting and your stats are comparable to be an MVP, I'd say that's, yeah, you're getting robbed because anybody could win. It, it's never really that um, unanimous, at least to me. Now, the guys voting are, are going to have a different kind of way of evaluating players than me. So I guess my, my input doesn't really matter too much, does it? But I will say that Alex Bregman... Yes, MVP. He's, 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 he played good enough to win an MVP award at least one season in his career. So he's a former MVP in my book. Okay? So same thing goes for Nolan Arenado, who's the other guy that we're going to talk about real quick. Nolan Arenado looks better than Alex Bregman, obviously, this year. He's batting 412, three home runs, nine RBIs, and a 1562, that's 1,562, OPS this season absolute stud and that's only through five games what 19 total bases oh my gosh and three strikeouts that's it only three strikeouts so i mean and and while we're talking about robberies for mvp awards the biggest robbery of the mvp award was yours truly vladimir guerrero jr definitely should have been league mvp last year otani did not deserve that award no matter what anybody says yes he hits yes he pitches but vladimir guerrero jr hits a hell of a lot better than shohei otani and otani isn't that good of a pitcher okay i just don't think it's fair for him to get credit for pitching and hitting and having two different war numbers that they can add together to give him a ridiculously high war and say he is more valuable than anybody else. It's like there's no way anybody could ever beat him for the MVP if that's your standard. It doesn't make it fair for any of the other players who are generational talents because Otani is not a generational talent. He had one decent year of hitting a lot of home runs, not even hitting for a high average, and he had a decent record on the mound. But so are you saying that if he hits that many home runs and has an ERA over four, that he's still your MVP? He would still lead the league in war. If he pitches slightly better this year, which I think is more likely than him hitting better than last year and hitting a little bit worse, would he still win the MVP? I just don't understand how that is logical to me. I feel like you're robbing other players that deserve the award. And that's just my input. Vladdy got robbed last year. That's it. That's all I'm going to say about it. Vladdy got robbed last year. So moving forward... Vintage Bregman, vintage Arenado. Absolutely either of them could win MVP in their respective conference this year. In my opinion. I don't think anybody's beating Vladdy, really. So Bregman has less of a chance than Arenado, but absolute studs, okay? Shout out Goldie, too. Goldie's looked good this year for the Cardinals. Um, moving on, so... Bregman and Arenado, basically, I just had to give those guys shout-outs. I just had to mention them because they deserve it. Same with same with Kershaw. I didn't have that many actual talking points for those guys. I just wanted to shout them out because they look great, and I love watching them, okay? Moving on. Last thing I needed to say, actually, about the AL East, now that I forgot one of them, one of my talking points, let's talk about the Rays for a second. And not the Rays as a team, but one guy in particular who is a true professional. 
a true example for young kids that want to play baseball in just the right mindset for playing the game and just being a tremendous person, okay? You guys know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about Brett Phillips, okay? You guys probably know him from that walk-off hit that he had in the playoffs where he had the airplane going when he was running around the bases. And in the interview after was just priceless because you could just tell this dude oozed just good vibes and just a great killer personality. Same thing in the spring training this year when they interviewed him about his new brand, uh, baseball is fun. I'm pretty sure it's literally what it's called. So Brett Phillips is a class act. He's setting a new standard saying that baseball is fun because it is fun. It's a game. It's a sport, but it's a game. These guys get to play baseball for a living. And Brett Phillips is the happiest man on the planet about that because he just loves playing the game. And he has a whole brand that's called Baseball is Fun just to try to promote that. And he does a lot of cool things with kids and their community and stuff like that. He's just a really good dude but one thing stands out to me and it's made the news because it's that awesome brett phillips hit a home run okay for an eight-year-old girl battling cancer tampa bay rays outfielder brett phillips made an eight-year-old girl's dream come true on tuesday when he hit a home run for her after learning that she was battling through a second bout of cancer and you guys got to look that up because the interviews and, and like the videos of these two together are just, they make you cry. They make you tear up. Brett Phillips is the, truly one of my favorite players in baseball, not because of the way he plays necessarily because he's not amazing. He's an MLB player, though. He's good enough to be in the league. And it's his personality that is just so infectious. Like this dude is such a freaking good dude. And... He doesn't hit that many home runs. So the fact that he hit one with this this little eight-year-old girl in audience, he straight up said that he hit the round tripper for this girl who tossed out the ceremonial first pitch to him before uh, Tuesday's game got underway. And he called her an inspiration after the game. And he actually teared up while discussing the special bond that the two developed. So Brett Phillips, you've got to clap. Guys, round of applause. For Brett Phillips, a true class act, great dude, doing it the right way. Just making a girl's day, I mean, making her dreams come true. Brett Phillips, shout, bro, shout out, shout out Brett Phillips. We got to shout him out. Just, just for that, I mean, class act, true professional, dude. Like, not only is his brand, baseball is fun, just like super infectious and just super good for the sport. But the fact that Brett Phillips does kind of stuff like this is just, it's a, it's a beautiful sight to see. It, it makes you realize and it makes you appreciate the fact that sports are more than just a sport, okay? These players, a lot of them do so much good work in their communities and use their platform for the right reasons. And that is the main thing that I look for when I'm saying if I like a player or not is like not just how they play on the field, but how are they off the field? How, are, how do they treat people? How do they treat their teammates on the field, off the field? How do they speak? You know, when they get interviewed, are they uh, arrogant, cocky, rude, or are they humble? Um, do they shout out teammates? before themselves do they have a good mindset a good outlook on the game on life um brett phillips 
uses his platform for the right reasons. Anytime anybody does an interview with Brett Phillips, it's a must watch because the dude just oozes good vibes. And he is just a true example for kids looking up to him to play this game. Not the way he plays, sure, but really just his mindset and the way that he goes about his business. Because Brett Phillips, he's just a true professional, like I said a million times. Same thing I used to say about Joey Votto, but a little bit more so for Phillips because he goes above and beyond. And just is a true exemplary personality for the game of baseball. It's great for baseball. Brett Phillips is great for baseball. Moving forward, off of the AL East... I want to give a shout out to a new segment that we're going to have on the show called Prospect Watch. And this is the first time that we're going to have a Prospect Watch segment on the show. So you guys are in for a real treat. I'm going to keep this under 10 minutes. All right. Prospect Watch. I have a few guys that I just want to look at. Okay. I just want to talk about a little bit. Okay. Some guys that are young because here's the thing. Baseball players... Yeah, they have a, they have a longer you know career expectancy than others um, than other sports. You know, it's not like um, you know football where a running back is only going to play into his probably early thirties, if that, most of the time because of all the hits that he has to take. Baseball is a sport that if you keep yourself in good condition, just like basketball, ask LeBron, that you could play for a lot of years and have a, have a really you know longevity. Longevity is key there, so you can have a long career. To get to that point, you have to be good at some point whether you're young or in your 30s and finally making it to the big show, you got to be good enough at some point to make it to the league. And a lot of the great players in the game, example, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Byron Buxton, just to name a few. They're top picks in the draft. I mean, not, maybe not number one overall, but a lot of the great players in the league were picked, you know, towards the top. There, there are some sleepers in there, but... Most of these guys that are, you know, faces of franchises and stuff like that are usually a top pick at some point, you know. Um, So they were the best of their class whenever they got drafted and, you know, therefore have the best technically chance for success in the league. So most of the guys we're going to talk about were high-end draft picks um, that are really just trying to form themselves into a good MLB player and have a successful long career. First guy that comes to mind right now that I want to shout out is Spencer Torkelson, okay? He was a top pick, right, for the, for the Detroit Tigers. Spring training, all we were talking about was these young players like Torkelson, who um, we didn't know, you know, based on what happened with Jared Kelnick last year, we didn't know what was going to happen with these young kids. When they come into the league, are they going to look ready? Are they going to struggle like Kelnick did? Um, are they going to need to literally be set back? A level to triple A to reform themselves and make themselves ready. I mean, you never know. And guys, you know, progress at a different rate and are ready at a different time in their career, a different stage in their career. It's it's all dependent on so many different factors. And some guys are just ready, and some guys are not. Um, so first, I want to shout out Spencer Torkelson because he actually did get his first big league hit and then his first big league home run. So Spencer Torkelson. Absolute beast. Um, if I can find what I was looking for here. Torkelson. Where are you at, buddy? Spencer Torkelson. I had him saved in here, guys. I wanted to tell you about him a little bit. Um, so Spencer Torkelson. Yes. Yes, it was a two-run homer. A torque bomb. A torque bomb. 
His first MLB home run, Spencer Torkelson, absolute stud. I, I said great things about Tork before the season started. i really, really big fan of Spencer, Tor- Spencer Torkelson. I was happy when he made the MLB team for the Tigers, and I really wish him the best of luck because he's just really fun to watch. i really, really big fan of Torkelson. So, Torkelson, let's look here. So far this season, yeah, like I said, that was his first home run. Um, he had a hit before that, but he's he's only batting 176. It is early in the season, but he is one of my favorites to win um, the Rookie of the Year award for the American League. Um, he does have uh, seven total bases, though, in six games, which is actually pretty good, and three walks. The only concerning thing there was eight strikeouts. But if you look at Torkelson, he actually does see a lot of pitches, uh, in his at-bats, and therefore he is going to get comfortable at the plate in the major league level quicker than players that see less pitches because as you see more pitches, you're getting more acclimated to the game at the higher level and you're becoming more um, prepared for success because you've seen it all, right? So with Torkelson, he's patient at the plate. He, he looked a little shaky for a little while there, but I think now that he got that first hit out of the way, as you can see the next game he hit a homer, he's going to get comfortable. He's going to bring that average up, and all that's going to come in time. I like Spencer Torkelson. I like his personality. I like the way he speaks when he speaks to the media. He said straight up that he doesn't care what his stats are. He's just going to go out there and play the game, and the stats will come. The numbers will come, which is true. If you have that mindset truly and you believe that you will be able to be your best if you just try your best and don't worry about that other BS, that's proof. Because most players, like like Kelnick, for example, you get batting under 100, you start getting frustrated. You start getting, you know, angry. You start just swinging for the fences or you just don't look like yourself and you start falling back into a shell and you can't hit the ball and the frustration hits you hard and you just can't get yourself out of that hole. Torkelson didn't let that happen. Torkelson stuck with it. And now he's hitting dingers, and I think he's going to hit many more. I think he's going to have a really good season. So, Spencer Torkelson, congrats on your first hit and your first homer, buddy. Keep it rolling. Love Torkelson. Another rookie. Now that we just mentioned Kelnick, I do want to say Jared Kelnick, first homer of the year today. I got to see it live. So, Jared Kelnick hit a two-run homer today. Love to see it. Uh, he still stats for the year, obviously not that good. But I do think Kelnick can be effective for the Mariners this year. Him and Julio Rodriguez. We're also going to shout out Julio Rodriguez. He got a hit today and a stolen base. Pretty good. So J-Rod and, and, and Kelnick are obviously the future when you're looking at the Mariners. 21 years old for J-Rod and 22 years old for Jared Kelnick. Two very highly touted prospects, first-round picks. These guys are the next generation for the Mariners. Um, so they're only going to continue to get better. I mean, we're talking about guys that are 21 and 22 years old. So I'm not expecting them to be hitting 300. That's rare. Obviously, Wander Franco is a completely different story. But for these two guys, I mean... I think they're going to be special. I really, really do. Both of them. And right now, they're hitting at the bottom of the order. But as they continue to get acclimated to the major leagues, they will move right up that order and get more at-bats. Therefore, more opportunities to drive in runs, more success. Uh, so I do like Kelnick. I do like J-Rod. Keep your eyes on them. But I just wanted to shout out Kelnick for hitting that first homer of the year today. Absolute bomb. He almost got a second one to the opposite side of the field. Just missed foul. A couple at-bats later. So watch out. Kelnick might be getting his swing going, okay? So Jared Kelnick and J-Rod had to shout him out. Another guy that we need to shout out is Sia 
Suzuki for the Chicago Cubs. He's an absolute beast. I, I had my doubts about him coming over here and playing in the, you know, in the major leagues from over there. I think, I think he was playing in Japan League. I'm not 100% sure. But he is absolutely killing it <laughs> to start the season. Uh, so, Sia Suzuki, um, he has uh, three home runs already this season in only 15 at-bats. So, not plate appearances at bats because as far as plate appearances, he has quite a few walks as well, but he's batting 400, three home runs, nine RBIs, four runs scored, five walks and five strikeouts. So those are very good stats for, um, for Suzuki. And he's up there with the best in the league in home runs. He's tied with Buxton, Arenado, Hanager, Ramirez, Rizzo, I mean, this dude can smash. So, good job for Sia Suzuki. I mean, he's going to be a pretty good player. I'm, I mean, it's <laughs> he's impressed me so far when I've watched him. I've, I've been impressed by a lot of different things. I did talk about his plate discipline and, and stuff like that in the, in the episode I had for opening day whenever I watched that first game of the season with him in it. So, yes, Suzuki doing great. Okay, talking about another outfielder, Stephen Kwan. You guys, if you've been following baseball at all, you know Stephen Kwan by now. You know Stephen Kwan by now, okay? He's a Guardians, the Cleveland Guardians left fielder, Stephen Kwan. He is second in the league in batting average right now. At one point, the dude didn't have a strikeout or a swing and a miss on a ball for like ever. Like it was some crazy number. So this dude, after his streak finally ended, he finally swung and missed. He's still batting like literally like what what did I say 526 which is second in the majors for the rookie. I mean this dude's crazy, okay? He's got 7 runs scored, 10 hits, 14 total bases, 2 doubles, a triple, 5 RBIs and 8 walks with only one strikeout. So keep your eye on Steven Kwan. I mean this dude's going to be something special too. I mean him and Suzuki, man. I <laughs> Uh, dude, they're going to be tough to beat for Rookie of the Year, I'm going to be honest. I think uh, Suzuki's the frontrunner for the uh, for the National League. And then as far as Stephen Kwan, man, I mean, <laughs> dude's right up there for the AL. I would say he's probably the favorite right now. Um, so, yeah, those guys have looked so good. I have three more prospects to shout out real quick first. Um, so, Hunter Green starting pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Honestly, dude, Hunter Green is a stud. I mean, I was I was high on Hunter Green right away. I think he's an absolute beast. This dude can just throw bombs like I'm telling you, this guy's cranking him. Like, he is throwing fast. Like, to say fast is an understatement. This guy is bringing the heat, Hunter Green. And in his first start, he got, uh, he got the start. He got the win. Um, he pitched five innings, allowed three earned runs on four hits. Two of those were home runs. And he walked two, but he struck out seven. So, yeah, the home runs are an issue for a guy that throws this ha- fast. He's almost like, you know... I don't want to say a role as Chapman build, but kind of in a way. Um, he was the second overall pick in 2017 for the Reds, and he's only 22 years old, 6'5", 230. So Hunter Green can bring it. 
Like, he can bring it, and I really like his game, and I think he's going to be something special. So, good for Hunter Green to get his first win out of the way and his first start, but he looks good. So, also just wanted to shout out Hunter Green. And then the other rookie that I wanted to shout out is a pitcher um, as well. So, we'll throw him right in there with Hunter Green. Um, you know who I'm talking about. San Diego Padres pitcher Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore. So he hasn't actually pitched yet. He is looking to make his major league debut Friday against the Atlanta Braves. The only reason Mackenzie Gore is getting a shot right now is because Blake Snell has an injury and he's going to the IR and they're using Mackenzie Gore to fill his spot in the rotation until he comes back. So Gore missed the team roster in spring training, did failed to make the team, but he's already this early in the season getting a chance to have a start and um, a chance to show off his stuff. So good for the left-hander, um, Mackenzie Gore, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Um, he made only one AAA start this season, tossing five scoreless innings with seven strikeouts for the El Paso Chihuahuas. Um, he was the third overall pick in the 2017 draft, and uh, he's the top-rated pitcher in the club's uh, system. So good for Mackenzie Gore. We'll keep an eye Friday, that's tomorrow, on Gore, and I'm obviously going to want to watch that start. I'm going to at least watch the highlights if I can't watch the game because I really want to see how Gore looks. Um, so yeah, um, moving on, um, we're going to, last baseball conversation is just going to be about the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, I just wanted to say uh, the last prospect on the prospect watch is Bryson Stott, uh, rookie for the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, the thing about Bryson Stott is I've seen him play live twice already this season, um, being going to Phillies games, and I think that he has the potential to be one of the better players in baseball. This dude, ever since I first watched him in spring training, he caught my eye. He was very impressive, like I say, in spring training. I mean, he was so hot for a minute there. Dude was batting like, I hate to even say, it was definitely well over 500. But he was just hitting everything. Using the whole field, just putting everything in play, getting on base, just made, he made a spot on the roster for himself. Like, the Phillies probably weren't really looking at Stott at the beginning to make the roster, but he made them look at him. Like, he showed off Bryson Stott. Uh, he strutted his stuff. He was hitting the ball extremely well, and he made his way onto the Phillies roster. And to be honest with you, he looked like their best player yesterday when I watched him live. So I would say Bryson Stott is legit. That is my first point to make about the Phillies. And my other point to make about the Phillies is their other top prospect, top pick in the draft, Alec Bohm, who people have said is, you know, was one of their top guys coming up for the last you know, few years, has gotten a little bit of play time in the major leagues. So he has had a chance where Stott is making his first run at it this year. Bohm has had moments where he's looked good and moments where he's looked really bad. He had one of those moments where he looked really bad very recently, and you guys have probably heard about it. When they played the New York Mets and Alec Bohm had three errors in the first two innings of the game over there on third base. Ouch. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't say I've ever seen a guy have three errors in a game, let alone three errors in two innings. I mean, this dude could not throw the ball to first base at all. And they were trying to make excuses that it's because he's a big body. You know, he's 6'5", he's got lanky arms and limbs, and he's got to get them all synced up to be able to make the throws and stuff like that. But I would love to talk, about an act, talk to an actual tall baseball player that plays an infield position and see what they think about that assessment because... I just don't know what to think about it. I, I don't know what Alec Bohm's excuse could be, but he was all over the place. And, I mean, it is definitely a liability for the Phillies' defense to have Alec in there. So, 
I'm just very concerned about who they're going to have playing third base. I mean, it could be uh, Bryson Stott, but now the problem that I want to arise now, I want to I let you guys know about, is Gene Segura yesterday when I was at the game got hit in the hand by a ball. It was a hit by pitch. He got hit in the hand and had to come out of the game. And then Alec Bohm came in to pinch run, who was on the bench for the game. He came in to pinch run, had to move uh, over to uh, first base, was where they played him. They played Johan Camargo over at third base uh, in that game, who actually I could see being their third baseman now that I think about it. I don't know what I'm talking about. So I think Camargo will be their third baseman. Uh, over Bohm. Now, Bohm could play third, but I think Camargo plays third. Hoskins is obviously their first baseman, but when he needs a day off, throw Bohm in there. When Camargo needs a day off, you can play Bohm at third every once in a while, but he's a liability on defense. The problem with losing Segura, one of your better contact hitters and one of the better hitters on the Phillies so far this year, the way their team has been playing, um, you got to move Stott to second because Bryson Stott can play third, short, or second. So now you got to move Stott to second because Didi Gregorius has to be at shortstop and then you play, uh, like I said, Camargo or Bohm at third. But it, it hurts your infield depth because normally you have Bohm and Camargo ability to come off the bench uh, with your starters being Stott, Gregorius, Segura, and Hoskins. But now with Segura out of the picture, Stott has to move to second, and then you have to start either Camargo or Bohm at third base. So whatever the Phillies choose to do there, it's going to be problematic, and I really hope Gene is okay. I haven't done a lot of research on the injury, so I don't know if he's going to be out a while or not. Just really hate to see anybody getting hurt, but especially Gene Segura, the way he's been hitting the ball this year. Um, and so to talk about the Phillies just a little bit more. They have been very disappointing. Um, it's early in the season, and as I said earlier in this episode, I'm not worried about them being 3-3 three and three based on their opponents that they've played, the Athletics and the Mets, because the Athletics are playing good baseball right now. And the Mets, as much as I don't like the Mets and don't think they're a playoff team, they are playing good baseball right now. So it's just like... It's, it's a little bit alarming, but I'm not concerned, if that makes sense. So the way the Phillies look right now, I'm going to wait a little bit longer to make a full assessment and let you know what I think. But Kyle Schwarber, after that first home run in his first half out of the season, has not looked himself. Bryce Harper clearly struggled. I think that home run that he had in the ninth inning yesterday when I was watching um, – is going to jumpstart him. I think Bryce will be having, you know, getting his stuff together now, now that he uh, got that home run and jumpstarted his season. I think Bryce is going to start looking like Bryce again. I think that's what he really needed. But Schwarber's going to need a big push to get going. Schwarber is really struggling. Like I said, his swing doesn't look good. They still have him hitting leadoff, so he's leading the team in at-bats, and he's just not doing anything. He's getting walked a little bit, but he's really just striking out. And when he does make contact, it's a weak ground ball, and he can't really get anything going. So I'm just I'm worried about Kyle. Was worried about Bryce. I'm not as worried about Bryce now. And I really like Nick Castellanos so far this year. He had a really bad first game with a bunch of strikeouts. Ever since then, he's, he's already over 300 on the season. He's been hitting the ball extremely well. Um, and I love seeing it out of Nick Castellanos, which we expect Nick Castellanos to be a 300 hitter. I fully expect him and Bryce to hit 300 this year. I really do. And even Bryson Stott, I could see him hitting 300 this year. I think the Phillies have three 300 hitters on that team. I think Schwarber is going to be at least between like 260 and, and 300 if he gets his act together. Same with Reese Hoskins. And those two guys are going to have crazy power numbers. And I think JT Romuto will be right in there as well with them. I think JT's set up for success this year, too. So I like the Phillies. I'm not worried yet, guys. I'm really not. I'm worried about Ranger Suarez based on what I saw from him the other night. But 
The rest of the rotation, Eflin, I think he's going to get better as the season goes on. I think he's trying to get acclimated again because he had injury issues last year. Aaron Nola, I think he will continue to get better. He's looked good at times and bad at times, which has been the thing for Nola over the last couple seasons. So we'll just have to wait and see there. And then same thing with um, Zach Wheeler. He looked pretty good in his first start for his first start of the season after coming off an injury and not having really any spring training uh, innings or anything logged. So I, I think, like I said, not really worried about the Phillies. I think that they'll still end up winning the division um, or getting second behind the Braves. Um, and I think the Mets are just having a hot start as more of a fluke. And um, really the only reason we lost to them yesterday was because of Pete Alonzo having two doubles, a home run, and five RBIs. So we'll just have to wait and see. But like I said, not concerned. If you guys are with me on the Phillies uh, fandom, uh, I just, like I said, diehard Phillies fan over here, and I, I really am not concerned yet. Um, I just think we're, we're getting off to a little bit of a slow start, which is expected. So appreciate you guys listening to this episode. This has been a full hour-long episode. I had to get some content out to you guys after missing the last few days. Again, I do apologize. I will be more consistent getting content out here in the near future, and I promise you guys a NBA playoff preview episode on Saturday. So in two days will be our next episode. It will be an NBA playoff preview episode because playoffs are coming up. Thank you guys for listening and we will see you next time on The Double Move.